Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Sophisticated Rebels. I am your host, Kasten Spethman. And if you are joining us for the first time, I want to just give a quick summary of what this podcast is all about and what I hope to accomplish with it. So Sophisticated Rebels is really interviews with individuals that I have known for a long time or maybe have recently met that I think could really add some value to people's lives. So I try to find people who are dynamic and maybe have a specialized skill set, have a unique story, maybe they've gone through something quite difficult and made it out the other side. They all have stories that I think will be interesting and hopefully helpful. So that is the purpose of this podcast and my goal. And every once in a while, of course, I, I do a couple podcasts where it's just me answering my own questions or talking, giving some insights that I might have. But Today, we have an awesome guest. His name is Carl Dewberry. I have known this young man for most of his life. I consider him my nephew, even though he is not my nephew by blood. And at the young age of 28, this young man has already gone through a life-changing and disabling car accident. He has started his first business, grown it, and sold it. And he has managed on his own with, without any kind of crazy diet to lose over 50 pounds and keep it off. And is really an inspiration to so many people out there, especially young people. He is absolutely amazing. And I'm not just saying that because I love him dearly. He really has such great insight at his young age. So I hope you join me for a conversation with Carl Dewberry and if you really enjoy what you hear, please share it with anyone else you think might find it interesting. Maybe leave us a comment on the platform. Thanks so much. I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, Carl. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. It's my pleasure. Great. So um, I think what we'll start out with um, on the podcast today is I just want to share with the listeners how we know one another and how long we've known one another. And um, then we can jump in and tell everybody your amazing kind of long story, considering you're only 28 years old. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel a little long. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's, actually one of, <laughs> that's actually one of uh, my favorite uh, questions that I'll get to answer is, um, first, you were a friend of my dad's, uh, my yeah. stepdad. And then uh, he met this amazing lady that is my mother, and then you decided you liked her just a little better. So Correct. That is how I like to explain it to you, yes. When Jeff mm-hmm. likes to tell the world that I moved to Arizona to follow him there from Oregon, I, I just am happy to remind him that I didn't move to Arizona until he married your mom. Yeah. And so that was really the reason. Um, he doesn't see it that way, but... Um, right. Yes, yeah, so, um, so and now Carl's mom you're... is my best friend and yeah. um, the whole family. I mean, you guys are my um, my Arizona family. Surrogates. Really... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yep, uh, and now you're you're basically my aunt and what we met for the first right. time when I was probably 10 or 11. Right. Or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and now you're 28, right? 28, going to mm-hmm. be 29 in January? January, Amazing. that's right. Gosh. Yes, mm-hmm. and I tell you what, it's been 
so cool to watch you grow up and accomplish all the things that you've accomplished despite some of the struggles that you've been through. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as a, um, an aunt or a parent, that's what you hope for is you want your loved ones, the young people in your life, to find what they're good at and be happy and find love and um, find themselves and see the world and, you know, you've done all of those things and it's, uh, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Um, and I learned a lot from you. I learned a lot from you. (laughs) So, um, I, I'm pretty stoked to have you on the show because my goal is to get this in front of other young people that are struggling with different things and maybe don't want to take their traditional route of, Mm -hmm. you know, go to school, get a degree, become a lawyer, whatever that might be and um, blaze their own trail. Which was my path. <laughs> right. I know. That's kind of why I picked that one. But, mm-hmm. but um, anyway, so now that we've established a little bit about how we know one another, um, let's dive in. Let's go back a little bit and talk about your first big hurdle that you encountered, which was the car accident that you were in. So can sure. you share with the listeners how old you were, um, kind of what was going on in your life at the time? And, um, and then what happened? Sure. So um, when I was 19, I was going to community college on scholarship, and uh, I would pick up, my friends, um, pick up my friends to carpool. And we uh, lived in a, a rural area, and it was a one-way road, you know, one side uh, each. And uh, I... I was driving to pick up my friend and I went into a large dip and came out and um, there was an 18 wheeler parked on the top of the hill. Uh, didn't leave me much time to respond, but uh, he didn't have any brake lights on or triangle. And so I, I tried to go to the left, which I've, I kind of wonder why I did that in hindsight because, you know, that's oncoming traffic. But because I'm on the left side of the car, my brain just told me that was the closest way to safety. Um, and there was a car coming from the other direction. Uh, so I tried to swerve back, and it was too late, and I made impact. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was in well, – Cassin, you'll, you'll be able to help me out a lot here because I don't remember yeah. much for, for that whole year of my life, but I was in the hospital for a few months uh, with a few surgeries on my, my elbow and my wrist and my hip. Um, and then I was in um, rehab, and then I didn't walk for another, you know, like six months after that at home. Correct. I think. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at that time I was just a goofing off freshman or sophomore in college, um, mm-hmm. and then you know that major major event happened to me. And um, share with us what were the biggest ways that that event changed you? Oh, man. It's kind of, it's interesting to talk about now when you get more clarity as the years go on because there may not have been a single better thing that happened to me in some ways. At 19, I I found my my universal truth. You know, it made me yes. it made me 
think about what uh, what I believed in as far as the universe or religion and spirit and all of that stuff. And and you know, it would be easy for me to say that like it it changed me physically because I I you know have a disability in my right arm now. Um, but I just I learned for me my personal truth now is that. Um, I'm in control of everything in my life, and and for me, the the universe is a cataclysm of of random events and random things happening to random people. Because you know, you can look back and be like, well, I don't feel like I deserve this happening to me, or what you know, karma right. or what other people believe. But um, it it taught me to take control and responsibility of myself and my own decisions and my um, in my life and ever since then, you know, I've, you know, bumps in the road, like there always is, but it gave me a light, like a, a belief system that I knew was going to guide me in the right direction. Interesting. So, um, I've known a lot of people that have been in life changing car accidents and no one has explained it like that. I think really? that, no, no, they really haven't. And, um, first of all, it's very eloquent and I can tell that you've it's really deep-seated and that you've thought about it a lot. And um, I'm, I think that other people um, think about it most of the time. You know, they're, you hear the kind of the normal, oh, you know, I appreciate life more now. I appreciate my family more now. But mm-hmm. I can't remember a time when anyone has ever explained what you just explained happening to them after a life-altering event. And um, yeah. I mean, that's a lot at 19. And, you know, I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. As you know, I was in a very bad car accident, almost lost my life Mm -hmm. at 31. And so I went through the same stages. And you're right, the farther you get away from it, as more years are in between, you view things differently. Very interesting. And what, um, are there still parts of that that you struggle with? I know that you um, have some disability in one of your arms, but you've even compensated with that from what I've seen that you're able to eat with your left hand and throw with your right or your left hand and, and you're naturally right handed, correct? Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, as you know, I'm, I mean, it doesn't matter if somebody is playing stickball in the street. I'm kind of interested in, I'm such a sports fanatic. Um, so not being able to feel like I was, I'm as, you know, have the ability to compete even on a, a normal softball level or, you know, not use my right arm to right. throw a baseball and a softball like I used to or stuff like that. That's, that's still to this day really, really hard for me in some ways because, you know, now, I mean, I play indoor soccer, you know, I do lots of other different yeah. stuff, but it's just, it's a limitation that nobody ever likes to feel like they, they have, especially somebody who, who always was a competitor, whether it was, you know, the athletics I was doing or the the theater that I did in high school or anything like, or, you know, the business life that I live now. It's just not something that anybody likes to feel when they're that type, when they have that type of fierceness. Right. Um, so that, that's obviously part of it. Um, and I know you, uh, you know what I mean when I say that, um, dull, dull pain kind of becomes a constant companion. Um, and it's, you know, you build up a tolerance and you don't really notice it's there except for, 
the occasional bad day when it's it's more sharp or the the weather changes as people say <laughs> no it really that does affect it a lot if you go mm-hmm. somewhere cold go to a cold climate you'll really feel it yeah in fact, you know, my no, friend thanks. Seth I'll Joyner, stay here in the desert probably forever. Right. I really think you probably should because you remember my friend <laughs> Seth Joyner, the football player? Oh, of, of, he, of course. That's, that's one of the only the, memories I have during the accident is when I held that Broncos Super Bowl ring in my hand. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, that <laughs> makes me happy. Good. Um, well, he and I were uh, having coffee one morning. It was, you know, one of those fall days where, you know, it was like 90 degrees one day and the next day it was 70. And mm-hmm. we're sitting there having coffee, and I'm, like, tweaking my neck, like, God, I'm so stiff. And he's got all this pain in his foot, and he was like, oh, the weather changed. And I looked at him, I'm like, no, I'm not old <laughs> enough for that. He goes, oh, it has nothing to do with your age. It has to do with your injuries. And, um, yeah, I just really didn't even realize it until then. But, yeah, it really does have an effect. A couple more questions just about the accident, and then I sure. promise we'll move on. Do you, how do you think it affected your friends, your peers? Um, or do you think it did well, at all? I do remember, I can say that it probably increased, you know, the the bonds that I had with a lot of my friends whom you know that I've, since the day that I met when I was 12, are still my best friends to this day, um, because I I was unable to walk and stuff for so long that there's no way I was going to be able to stay in the house, the social person that I am, and they... <laughs> loaded my wheelchair in and out of the, you know, the car as 19-year-old yeah. um, mess arounds, uh, <laughs> going to su- Sunday football at, you know, the local bar that we went to for years and years and, and to but even but parties and stuff like that. that. Not, not at 19 uh, Right. Well, see, but yeah, so I mean that was, you know, just in any situation, probably even without them knowing it when you become some type of caretaker for somebody, especially one that mm-hmm. can't do a lot of stuff for themselves, it tends to strengthen um strengthen bonds, bonds and stuff like that. So there was a caring that was involved there, but yeah, I mean yeah. Ho- I mean I can only hope that they that they wear their seatbelt and keep two eyes on the road, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, thank God you didn't pay the ultimate price for that. And um, because as you know, a lot of young people do, and it's just, we make maybe not the best decisions when we're young and we don't have as much experience. So in driving that is, so you have gone on to do amazing things. So let's talk about some of that. Sure. Um, All right. So let's talk about Carl, the entrepreneur. And okay. um, Valor Vapor, why you started it, when you started it. Oh, I love this story. Um, no, okay, great. so <laughs> um, when I was when I was in my young 20s, oh my gosh, um, 20, 22, my best friend Keith had graduated college, and he had been a smoker for a long time. I was just, I was more of a casual smoker, you know, like I would probably go through a pack on the weekends, but then maybe have a couple during the week. It really was just, you know, a social thing, as they say. Um, But his sister was in town from Vegas for his graduation party and brought both of us um, electronic cigarettes from Vegas in, you know, 2000, like I said, 2002, 2003. And uh, we liked it and we were using it and stuff like that. And um, then we took a group trip, um, you know, friend group out to California and 
went out to a couple clubs and stuff like that and realized that even at the nightlife inside these buildings that people were um, vaping and using their electronic cigarettes. And Keith and I both went to ASU for business law or we're going at the time. And uh, I looked at him and said, if we're going to do this, we need to do this now because we had briefly talked about it. It was just such a, an untapped, you know, uh, place of business there was only i mean you could count the amount of stores that sold those types of products on on just your hands in the phoenix valley you know one of the biggest top five biggest cities in the country and so we decided to put our heads and our money together and um keith keith wrote a business plan and we brought his sister who was a regional manager out in vegas up and all three of us started um, started Valor Vapor on on some family contributions and a ten thousand dollar credit card and some shoestrings. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay, so tell us kind of where where you're at now, and then I want to go back and talk about what the biggest hurdles were, um, what you've okay. learned, what your favorite part about being an entrepreneur is, and that sort of thing. But let's um, get the listeners up to speed because fast forward now, six years later, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, think, tell us yeah, where five. you're at now, five or six years So later. we opened in December of 2013, our first location. And last month we were a, a four location chain with a franchise to make five. And we also owned uh, the preeminent manufacturing co-packing um, facility for e-juice in Arizona. And we were... In five years. Uh, in less than five years. Yes. That's amazing. Yes, in less, in less than five years. And that's definitely a testament to how, how, of a, how much of a serious industry this is and the boom that it went through. But, um, you know, I also like to think that it was the fact that Keith and I paid attention to all of the lessons and things that we were taught growing up in our service industry backgrounds. And we just applied what we knew that customers wanted and appreciated because we were at that point, we were still so in touch. You know, we, we didn't spend years in middle management and in, in, in more years in suits to be so far removed from what it was that customers actually wanted to come to your store for. You know, what a great uh, point. What a great point right there. Right. Because I don't think that people think about that too often. And that is a reality. You see it. If if you ever watch undercover boss, you see how disconnected these CEOs are, um, but also their middle management is from, from the actual customer and the day-to-day operations. So right. Mm -hmm. Very good observation. Um, and yes, as of a month ago, we were approached by an East Coast company named Cure Vaporium uh, and Lounge that was recently acquired by a publicly traded company, uh, Isodial, which is one of the world's leading manufacturers of uh, CBD, okay. the non-psychoactive cannabinoid um, cannabinoids for stress relief and relaxation and anti-holistic medicines and holistic medicines and stuff like that. And uh, they, they purchased Cure. Um, Cure wanted to expand their retail to therefore expand the reach that CBD could make to customers. And um, they made an offer to us for our company and, and uh, we accepted. 
fan freaking tastic. I mean, that is such a rare story. You know, first of all, eight out of ten businesses that start don't they fail. They don't ever even get That's off the crazy. ground. Yeah. For the fact that you started yours, built it to that size in under five years and sold it is so impressive. Wow. Yeah, Congratulations. I, thank you so much. I I I don't know. I I guess I forget. You know, I I was listening to some of your other podcasts and listening to like, you know, how much other people go through. I, I forget that that's out there because I was so fortunate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, like you, I think you said in one of your podcasts that you couldn't imagine going through the pain that you've gone through before, you know, 10 or 11 times of something not working out. And right. I don't know. I think right. that's, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, some people are just so determined. That was my interview with Jordan Adler, and some are just mm-hmm. so determined that nothing stops them. And, you know, I actually was reading a statistic today about um, Steve Schultz, the CEO of, of um, Starbucks, or the founder of Starbucks. Mm-hmm. He, um, so he needed to get Starbucks off the ground. He needed to raise $1.6 million in, and he had a year to do it. And the man pitched to 272 investors, and 217 of them said no. I mean, ha- you know, so that means almost the entire year, you spend almost every day pitching, and, I mean, the majority of them said no. And, and so you have to have such conviction to keep going. But I am, very, I, I am very happy that you didn't have to go through that. I also know that it wasn't just luck. I think you guys really played it pretty safe and took calculated risks. And uh, you're just very smart, which is also not super common in, in young entrepreneurs, but you guys really did it right. Hopefully, on your next venture, things will go smoothly again. I wanted to chat with you a little bit about what the biggest hurdles were that you had, Valor Vapor, that you guys had uh, to overcome. Well, the one thing that everybody always said to us, because it's, it's been thrown around as such a cliche, was working with friends. Um, mm-hmm. and how that can be difficult, you know, just for, just for the record, I was working with like the best guy that I could have been working with. What we had and still have to this day is, a a heads and tails, you got to have both sides of the coin type of, uh, relationship. And that worked really perfectly with us. And, and we still are planning on using that, that working relationship going going forward and other things, but, um, the hurdles, the hurdles for me were, um, trying, trying to take the academic version of what they tried to teach you being in business was about, and then actually owning one (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, realizing that when there's only three people running a whole company and, and that's true at one store and, you know, and beyond really, is that you you have to you have to become a Swiss Army knife. We did not have a marketing person. We did not have uh I mean I was I was the last person to look at every piece of marketing material and graphics material to make sure that it was approved. I was HR, I was payroll, um I was the um I was the director of management. I mean I did all the hiring and firing. I did uh the training and the you know, the operations side of all of it. So yeah, it was just, it was crazy taking yeah. all, all of those classes. Right. Yeah. As a startup, you wear every single hat. You are the yes, janitor. Every hat. You yes. are the accountant. You are the salesperson. Yes. You are everything. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I guess and, just um, getting getting used to that and having all of that responsibility and realizing that all of a company takes all of those things to to run properly and having to be in charge of that many aspects of it is is difficult. A little daunting, yeah. And mm-hmm. um, would you say that's the biggest thing that you learned from having your first business, or what were some of the things that you learned with your first business? Um. I learned that I'll never stop learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I learned that like I'll always, there will always be something for me to learn and get better at uh, forever. And yeah, definitely that. Um, I think I, that's one I, of the I, parts I, about it, honestly. It's sure. Like, I, I mean, yeah, if absolutely. we stop learning as human beings, what's the point, right? Right. I mean, to, yeah, to a certain degree, that's like giving up. Like, oh well, what I have now is enough. And for right. me personally, I feel like you know, a lot of people in and this this walk of life of entrepreneurship, if if you ever feel like what you have is enough, then you're no longer an entrepreneur. What was your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Um, building something from scratch. Um, mm. no, like seeing that, not necessarily in a validating type of way, but seeing that that I I knew what to do and I did it correctly and I put it together and it operated and it worked and watching all of that come to culmination was, you know, for a 23-year-old kid just just finishing up his last year in college, that was an extremely cool thing for me because it meant that I really did do what I always wanted to do and, and as I worked for Domino's and Starbucks and all of these giants, I, I wasn't just another kid making a pizza or making a, a latte. Like I was actually learning what they were trying to teach me, you know, which was right. customer service and operations. And, and, you know, I mean, I even, even referencing my old handbooks so that I could build a company handbook. We were, we were the only vape related business in Arizona that I know of from my trade organization that actually had a a standard operating procedure and company handbook for all of our employees and stuff. We really treated it differently than other people. I think that's such a valuable point. I just want to talk about that for a second because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of startups don't take themselves seriously and that hurts them when they try to grow. And um, you guys did the opposite. You treated it like a business, a real business, not a hobby, mm-hmm. not a fly-by-night. And it grew, and you were able to sell it. And, um, you know, I'm going to take that bit of uh, information and advice that you just gave and share that with other people because I think that is missing in a lot of startups. Yeah, uh, it can often be a lot of passion, and, um, you know, sometimes the excitement and passion can kind of, you know, get you a little off of the the track of the – the wooden beams and the metal studs that really have to be there in order to make everything operate. Right. Well, you know, you have to build a solid foundation to build a business Mm -hmm. upon. Otherwise it's a house of cards and it's going to fall apart. And um, so kudos to you at 23 for understanding that. Thank you. Um, So the flip side of what was your favorite part of being an entrepreneur is um, what was your least favorite part? Least favorite part of being an entrepreneur. Um, Well, I think, I think, especially since you know me personally, you know, one of the things that, one of the things that made me uncomfortable was that, you know, there, there is a measure of success and, and I've, I've never looked at myself differently for that or thought of myself differently than, 
you know any of my peers that I love very much but there's people were very kind and very complimentary and very you know of our situation what we had built and I think it was it was it's hard for me to accept praise like that you know mm-hmm. because I, I I don't know I'm just that type of person I guess so when a lot of people wanted to talk about stuff like that you know I I really I I kind of brush it off because um, even though I am proud of what we've built, I've, I fully believe that so many people are capable of, of doing these types of things. And what I try and tell everybody is just that it's uh, what I did differently than, than you potentially was I just seized the opportunity and didn't let it pass me by. It could be any single opportunity that's coming by you in your life. I'm just, I just recommend that you like always try and seize it and not let it go by because I feel like that was the only major difference for me. I love it. I love it. I have a sign in my office that um, is in the form of a letter, and it says, Dear uh, Optimist, Pessimist, and Realist, (laughs) while you all were busy arguing over what was in the glass, I drank it. Mm -hmm. Sincerely, Opportunist. Right, yeah. So, you know, um, (laughs) there are a lot of opportunities out there, and it really is a matter of opening your eyes. And taking a step or having or have, having the, the gall, you know, the yeah. the wherewithal to see it when it's passing by. Yeah, people need to pay attention and and also be willing to take that risk. I mean, that's not everybody's wired that way. So right. But you are any other last bit of advice for particularly young entrepreneurs? Um, young entrepreneurs. What I would what I would tell anybody and. Uh, entrepreneur or not um you know some i i swore to myself from the very beginning that i would never i would never be a cutthroat businessman and if that meant that i was a millionaire and not a billionaire then i didn't care but i i believe that being the best person that you can be and treating others the best that you possibly can is is the easiest way to success because people will want to be around you. They will want to learn from you. They will want to love you. They will want to give to you. Um, you know, and, and the more people you're around, the more opportunities that are around. And, and I truly think that other individuals are my greatest resource. You know, time is money. I spend my time with people investing in them and I know I'm going to get that uh, back in return. So I, I just recommend that people, people do things the right way and and that's how i think that you're you will eventually be rewarded that's why i love you (laughs) you're exactly right and you know what i do wish the rest of the world most of the world would take note from you and take lessons because um it would ensure a lot more success and a lot more happiness and uh well well said i mean i think my generation is going to surprise people we're the we're the butt of a lot of jokes we're the butt of a lot of jokes right now, but we're going to be the seed of a lot of change. Yeah, I love it. I actually love millennials. I think they yeah. figured it out a long time ago. So, All right, uh, let us move on to your next big life-changing experience. I want to talk a little bit about your weight loss. And specifically, oh. um, you know, let's talk about this in keeping in mind that there might be people in the audience listening that um, have also struggled with their weight throughout their life mm-hmm. and give them your story, what you did, why you did it, how you did it, and some of the things that helped you be successful so that they can maybe follow in those footsteps. Wow. Um, 
Well, um, I was always a heavier set, even, well, starting in, I guess, middle school. My mom was a single mother, and um, she, you know, after working all day, she didn't really have a whole lot of time to try and fight and argue about peas and green beans, you know, especially with a, a, a sibling who might not have agreed with me. I would never expect anyone to make three meals, but that from an early age, I ate things that tasted good and that I liked and not necessarily things that were good for me. And you extrapolate that out over, um, you know, 20 years. And after, after getting out of high school and uh, being in my accident and not having the same type of active lifestyle that I did when I was playing three sports and all that stuff, um, the bad choices started to pile on, you know, the freshman 15 is a nice joke, but I had a freshman 50 or so. (laughs) And, uh, you know, in college, obviously, you know, cooking for yourself and stuff like that is not something that anybody really does. It's just the difference between the difference between, you know, gaining a little bit of weight and gaining a lot of weight is sometimes making the right choice. And I always made the choice that was um, out of just pure gluttony and not, responsibility. And as I started getting older, um, you know, I I was, as you well know, I was in a really long-term relationship and there was a comfortability factor there. And and I didn't see myself the same in the mirror, I guess, and because of that comfortability factor, even though I I was always somewhat disappointed. And and as I started getting older, like I said, out, out of college, I started realizing and and I started feeling guilty. And even though for it, it was almost like phases, like there there was no guilt, uh, but I was gaining weight and didn't care. And then there was I was still making the wrong decisions, but I started noticing it and and feeling guilt and doing it anyways. And then I started getting to the point where where every time I made a bad decision, I was feeling truly, truly horrible and guilty about that decision. Like as soon as soon as you know, I had the patty melt from Whataburger, which I still love. I'd be like, wow, I'm horrible. That was a terrible thing for me to do, you know, and all of those, all of those negative thoughts can start, you know, affecting you biologically the same way that the stuff that you're putting in your body is going to affect you biologically. Absolutely, Right. And um, so I guess if we fast forward to what really, what I feel like made a change in my life and I, I am in no way, <laughs> I am in no way in, endorsed or paid by <laughs> this, this program, <laughs> but, but um, a, a really, 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 yeah, um, I am one of my very, very great friends, Jennifer Chavez, uh, and her um, now fiance, now fiance uh, started this program called Whole30, okay. which was a, cha- which is a challenge that basically says you're not going to eat any processed foods or uh, sh- or added sugars for 30 days. And mm-hmm. it's one, one of the reasons why I loved it so much was the way that they were just so blunt about it. And it was, this, this is not hard. Don't tell me this is hard. Beating cancer is hard. Having a baby is hard. Not putting cream in your coffee is not hard. So I was like, 
damn, that's, that's motivating. You know what I mean? I can do this. So I made a bet with my roommates, my, my sister and her fiance and, uh, you know, on a weight loss month challenge. And, and I lost 17 pounds that month during that 30 day challenge. But what I learned about what I was putting in my body made that guilt turn into irreversible knowledge. And now I know so much more about all of the ingredients and all of the bad stuff that are in every single thing that you buy in the middle of the grocery store that I, I can't, I can't even possibly fathom going back. Uh, I I really can't. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's really, it really comes down to education and information. That's what it is. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the way that it changed how I felt, not, not after losing weight, but simply after what I started putting in my body. I, I'm sure if you asked if you asked Rebecca, she could tell I was jumping around the house and like pounding my fist, like excited to uh, go to the gym or excited while I was meal prepping because you you know I love to cook. It's it's my creative outlet yeah. nowadays. So I would I would say that that program and my friend Jen introducing me to that program and and truly educating myself about what I was putting in my body and why this guilt was manifesting made it an, an irreversible part of, of me. Awesome. Wow. And so you have been living that way uh, for how long now? Oh, it's been about, um, I think that was last March. Yeah, it was, you mean well, a year, yeah. A year um, ago, March, right? Yes, not, yeah, yeah, yeah right. So yeah. a year and like, like a year and a half ago, probably. Okay, a year and a half um, ago, yeah. And how much are you down? Um, you don't have to do pounds, between, you can tell me pants yeah, or whatever. No, in, in between 40 and 50 pounds. Yeah, I was, uh, I was almost 300 pounds and now I'm down to 245. I'm, I'm 20 pounds away from like my high school junior prom wow. weight. Oh my um, gosh, Carl. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That's so cool. And, and just, just so everybody knows, I'm not, I, it's, I'm not uh Ben Stiller in, in dodgeball. Like I have had a carb, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Like I, I of do course. have ice cream with my friends. I do go out to dinner because I do love food, but it's, it's the 80 20 split that everything has to be in life. And I, I am, I am losing 45 to 50 pounds in a year and a half simply because 80% of the time now I'm making a decision to eat something that tastes good, but is also good for me. It's not the, it's not the chicken strip dinner dunked in sauce. It's, it's my hamburger patties and um, carrots and sweet potatoes and all that stuff that's still good. It's just, you know, so much better for you. It's real and not processed. And um, so, of course, you know, the weight is is important because I'm sure uh, your cholesterol is probably better and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's easier on your joints and, you know. Yeah, I was pre-diabetic. Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. My blood sugar levels were consistently so high and and I have, um, you know, diabetes runs in the family. So it was just something where I was like, absolutely no more no more right right um it's interesting because um of what has been happening recently in my family with my dad and who's had heart problems his whole life and just some of our 
you know, um, our friends, friends of your dad's and, and mine, having heart attacks at young ages. And, um, and I inherited, unfortunately, my dad's family history of having bad heart and was told that I had high cholesterol in May and that I needed to probably go on medication. And I said, um, no, I'm going to try something different. And I went completely plant-based and vegan. Mm-hmm. And my cholesterol has gone down tremendously. So really? I'm with you. Yeah. And I am with you that people say, oh, that must be so hard. No, you know what's hard? It's having your chest split open and three veins from your leg put into your heart. That's right. Hard. Holy cow. Yeah. So um, I hear you on all of that. Um, ha- let's talk a little bit because, of course, the weight part is important. But also, I think the other thing that's so interesting about this, because I have experienced it myself, it is how how do, do you think differently? Do you have more energy? Because I've heard some people say that I've done Whole30, and, and like for me, like my brain fog is gone. You know, I, mm-hmm. I make decisions quicker. I'm, I have more energy. Um, what are the other, some of the other side effects of, of kind of living more of that Whole30 lifestyle? Uh, yeah, I mean, everything that you just said, there's this term that people use uh, who have completed Whole30, and it's uh, the tiger's blood, <laughs> where um, after after you get through, you know, people people who are really deep into the processed food sort of um, rabbit hole and who that way more than they need to or think they do. Um, there's what's called, you know, otherwise known as the keto flu, or you have flu-like okay. symptoms when your body's getting rid of all that stuff because your body is actually addicted. To sugar, yeah. Um, yeah, and so that's that's what's happening. And then after that, there's this there's this tiger blood rush where you feel like kind of on top of the like world in a sense where you just have all of this weird natural energy your body is getting from different places because it's choosing to digest your fat for energy and burn it for longer instead of quick burst from sugar. And um, yeah, for, I mean for me it was it was psychological from a positivity standpoint it was um me not coming home and watching four or five hours of tv but um you know that that was when i started playing soccer again and like therefore doubled down on my my happiness by getting out and meeting new people and playing competitive sports again and stuff like that um it was just kind of like a you know, it was a snowball. It almost sounds like it was. Yeah, it is a snowball, isn't it? Yeah, and how interchanged those things are. And mm-hmm. yeah. well, you know, um, I know a lot of people my, my age that are working on this, and here you are at well, let's see, you were 27, right, when you started working on all that. So again, kudos to you for figuring it out early. Lord knows what you're going to be doing you. when you're my age. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Hopefully I'll have cool. like uh, 30 Taco Bells or something like that. I don't know. No, I don't think you will. I hope not. <laughs> that might go against your... <laughs> yeah. Oh, right? Cool, yeah. But it, it, yeah, that's, that's a little bit too hypocritical right there. Right. But, um, okay, so um, what's next for you? Uh, well, right now... And um, life and all of it. Oh, business. So in business, Cure decided to keep Keith and I... Our, 
wanted to keep Keith and I on. In fact, they told us that, like, if it wasn't for Keith and I, they probably wouldn't have moved to Phoenix just because we were, were able to keep doing what we're doing for them. Uh, so we're, we're working with Cure now to build a true professional um, and forward-thinking vaping environment um, and trying to do away with a lot of the that exists for it right now. Um, mm-hmm. And personally, I am... Uh, my goals are to travel a lot more and visit some of the Eastern cultures that have uh, changed my life so much. I'm trying to go to Japan next year and uh, hopefully, you know, Thailand and Bali soon after that. Um, I have 45 pounds left on my my ultimate goal weight that I I'm dead set on hitting. Um. I mean, I'm sure my Good mom's going to want wow. grandkids soon, eventually. Right? Oh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, uh, your sister, who's now married, is probably going to be taking care of that. So you might be right. off the hook for a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Okay. So uh, at the end of the podcast, I always ask the folks that I'm interviewing some kind of random questions. So let's rifle through some of those now. So let's see here. What is something people assume about you but get wrong? Oh, man. I've heard this on your other podcast, and this is such a tough <laughs> question. But luckily, I had time to think about it ahead. Um, I think one thing that really bothers me about what people may assume about me uh, is that uh, they interpret kindness as weakness um, mm. because, I, w- I, w- I mean, you – we've already established how well you know my mom and you know that um, it's pretty impossible to come from her tree and not, <laughs> not feel like that. And I, I treat everybody with the utmost of, of courtesy and politeness. And I think a lot of times that can be viewed in the wrong way and people think they can take advantage of you or, or be aggressive right. towards you and get what they want. But, you know, I mean, I carry my big stick behind my back, so I just hope that people don't ever make me need to use it, you know? Sure, sure. Awesome. Okay. Um, What is something that you hated as a child but are grateful for now? This one always stumps everyone. So (laughs) we can come back to it if we have to, but we are going to come back to it. What was was the question again? Um, What is something that you hated as a child but are grateful for now? So it could be anything from like chores to hmm. learning how to type to, um, <laughs> you know, uh, having to learn to sew. I don't know. Anything like that. Um, okay. I guess one thing that I actually comes up in conversation more oftentimes than not now is, um, is moving here from Texas when I was eight years old. Um, as most people will, will tell you, it's a pretty different environment, you know, the Southern hospitality thing and, and large loving family and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm moved pretty much every school year of my life. Um, and except for when I, when I moved to Anthem, uh, with my mom and, and Jeff, my stepdad. And, uh, that was, you know, that was inevitably linked to like, well, Arizona is terrible. I don't like living in Arizona. This is not a good time. Um, my whole family is back in, in Texas, but I am, so grateful that I live in Arizona. I think it's an, and Phoenix is an amazing place to live. 
I've I've been to Super Bowl parties. I've been to national championship games. I get to see, um, you know, the waste management every year, which is a phenomenal golf tournament. There's so many sporting events going on all year long. We have nine months of in between 65 and, uh, you know, 90 degree weather, which nobody can ask for better. Um, and I've, I, I moved to a town that, most people may not have appreciated, but because it became my home, my first long-term home for almost 15 years, I now hang out with the same hooligans that I was hanging out with when I was 12, 11 years old. Um, and like, who can't be grateful for those types of long-term relationships and bonds? And obviously I wouldn't be, I would probably never be having this conversation with you if I had. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good one. And I know that for a long time you did not want to be there. You wanted to be back in Texas. So, And it, by the way, your description just made me that much more sad that I'm not living in Arizona <laughs> So thanks for that. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, next question. What do you think is your best trait? And I'll tell you one of the reasons that I asked these. I mean, all of these questions have been very sought out. I mean, there's very specific reasons that I ask them. Really? And one of the reasons oh, that I ask this question, think. no, the, one of the reasons that I ask this question to people is it's very hard for us to talk about ourselves and to talk yeah. positively about ourselves. We as human nature, you know, as humans, especially the types of people that I interview are people that are driven, they are self-aware, and they've gone through hard times, but they've accomplished a lot. And it is very hard for those types of people to talk um, about things like what their best trait is. And so a lot of thought has gone into these questions. And so I'm going to push you and, and have you tell us what you think your best trait is. Um, okay. I actually do have one loaded up. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, um, Aren't you glad I sent these to you beforehand? <laughs> right. I uh, have a what what I tell people is that I'm I'm an empath, um, mm -hmm. which means I I have empathy and can almost in a surreal way feel and interpret what people around me are feeling through their their energy or their uh, body language or their words, whereas other people just wouldn't be able to interpret such things. And it, allow, it allows me a great ability to be able to connect with them or um, understand them. And that's one of my favorite things about myself is that from any background, uh, any race, creed, you know, I'm just, I can... Uh, empathize with you and I can relate to you and you know I just I appreciate that so much because like I've spoken about uh, prior I believe that people are just the greatest currency that I could possibly right. possibly have so it allows me yeah. allows me to gain more in that currency and and learn more about people and myself and it's just uh, it's a, a gift that never stops giving I agree. That's a very good trait. Very good trait. Okay. Um, what is your go-to when you are down or need inspiration? When I'm, <laughs> when I'm down, I like to, I just, 
I like to deal with it, think about it, mourn over it, and move past it, right? Like, it, okay. don't, don't ignore it and let it linger or forget about it or anything like that. I, I watch my favorite sad movies. I listen to my favorite sad albums. You know what I mean? I, I yes, truly, yes. truly address it and, like, just, all right, fine. Cry it out and then get over yes. it. You know what I mean? And no, it, so it, that's really smart. I actually just mm-hmm. was listening to a study done on this exact thing, which is when you are feeling down, to really go into it deeply, and that will allow you to then move past it. And it's much better to feel even that very deep pain or that deep sadness than it is to not deal with it and have it be that kind of dull, numb pain. And I think you and I could po- both probably agree that it would have been much better when we had our car accident that we would have had acute pain for a short amount of time, but no longer right. pain. And yet here we are both stuck with long-term dull pain. Right. The, the, the physical body. It's, the, the physical body is that, that pain can hurt so much less than, than the deep yeah. emotional stuff. Uh, are you fear-motivated or reward-motivated? This is the one that twisted me up. A little bit. Okay, so are you, do you understand what I'm asking there? Are you motivated because you're afraid of losing out on something or are you motivated because you want the prize at the end? Are you Um, motivated by you don't want to get in trouble for something or are you motivated (laughs) by the thrill? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if... And you can be both. Sure, yeah, and that's that's kind of what what I was thinking when I first heard it is, I mean, I, like, I just have always had this feeling that, like, I mean, I wasn't not going to succeed. And, like, and I know how that must sound, but, like, there was just never a second in my whole life where I thought or worried that, like, I wasn't going to get somewhere because I just knew that I would. However it was that I defined it or whatever it was that I wanted, I felt like I would Mm -hmm. be able to get there and figure out how. So I never really worried about about failing. I'm that type of person who knows knows that Thomas Edison failed at making a light bulb 2,000 times and he chose not right. to look at it that way and he, he said that he found 2,000 ways not to make a light bulb. You know what I mean? So, so Okay, like, so that's a little bit different. That's a little bit different. That um, okay. is more of my next question, which is what is something you intrinsically knew already as a child? But the, the, here's the difference. So when you're fear-motivated, it means... And I can, I can answer this for you. You're reward-motivated mm-hmm. because I don't know a single entrepreneur that is fear-motivated. Fear-motivated means you yeah. need to have a 9-to-5 steady job. Well, not 9-to-5, but you need to have a uh, corporate gig where you're getting a salary because your fear, your fear motivates you, and the fear is that you are going to um, need to have a steady paycheck so you can pay your mortgage. You can't be fear motivated and be an entrepreneur. I don't. Yeah. Know. I mean, I haven't. I haven't yeah, met that's one that's kind of what I was trying to get at is that there's just never been a, that mm-hmm. fear. Got it. My my yeah. my motivation is always to be able to like, you know, surprise at the end. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure most people like I I I want more money because money to me is a tool to be able to give to others or like create happiness and so like. I, I'd love right. to make as much of that and give as much happiness as possible. Sure. Awesome. Okay, so uh, next question. What is an uncommon app or website that you use all the time? 
maybe one that, you know, not, not like the Facebooks and the Snapchats and stuff. I'm talking uncommon app or website. Okay. Um, so can I give you two? Is that okay? Because I, lo- I love that. Of course. I, yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, the first one is Acorns. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of Acorns? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. But go ahead for the so, listeners. Let's go ahead and explain it. So basically, it's a it's a financial investing app that takes the remaining change off of every purchase that you make, uh, mm-hmm. and invests it into um, different level of risk accounts. And you can set your bank account up to feed it. You know, for for me, it's five dollars a week, and it's such a small amount that you never you never really notice that it's it's going or gone you know it's not like it it comes out as a hundred dollar hundred dollar debit every month um right but over you know over a couple of years it's you know it's at almost two thousand dollars just based off of the 35 cents after a cup of coffee and i think that that's that's such a tool that everybody should be using because of how difficult it is for everybody to save. And then, and then they have a flat tire and have to ride on a donut for two months. And it's just, it's the perfect way to teach some, to teach somebody or help somebody to get a, an emergency fund, which so many people in, you know, so many people every day in even America, such a blessed country aren't able to, to save up and and have and that's when you get into trouble and you can start losing the important things you know right right yes because that rainy day is going to happen great and what's the other one? Oh no you said you had two so i don't want to i know I, I don't remember what the other one sorry cast and i have to t- i had to take you off my ear for a sec that's okay um we can come back to that if you remember it we'll come back to it um okay, i have just a couple more questions Sure. Is there, you know, if people want to find you, follow you, is there a good way for them to do that? Maybe they have some questions for you about being an entrepreneur or Whole30 or anything like that? Sure. Or, um, yeah. The best way to get a hold of me probably, um, or for people to follow me and talk with me is Instagram. Uh, just because Facebook is not something that I'm, I'm on a whole lot more or sure. on a whole lot nowadays besides positive communication, um, but they can find me there at Carlton Clay with C's, C-A-R-L-T-O-N-C-L-A-Y. Okay. And, yeah, that's probably the best one. I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of in the first millennial wave. I'm not in the second or third, so Twitter is, I don't Twitter. Yeah. I don't tweet <laughs> or twit. You don't tweet. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> the rest of the world keeping, a, keeping the Twitter world busy. Um, right. Okay, so last question. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have? Or is there anything that you'd like to share with us before we let you go? I think I ended up addressing most of it. If if I could go back um to the discussion about the accident and the way that the way that I chose to look at things, there there are so many people out there who who can get trapped in a why did this happen to me and a woe is me type of um, way of thinking. And I just, I can't say enough about 
how how much every single person is capable of no matter what happened to them and that um you only you are in control of how you feel so once you understand that once you feel that and understand that you can change whatever it is that you want to change going forward just by putting your mind to it it, it becomes something that that's way more empowering than me being able to throw a baseball so yeah uh, I would just love for anybody that gets in that situation to stay so, so far away from those thoughts and realize that everything else that they can um, still do and still have, just because that's that's such a dangerous place. Wow. Well, I don't think there is a better time for us to wrap it up than with that. That's a perfect <laughs> closing statement. And it just it just goes to to so much about who you are. And you are one enlightened young man. I mean, it is. <laughs> It's just really impressive, and it's fun, and I love it. I could talk to you for hours, and um, definitely going to have you back on the show. I can't wait to see what your next adventure is and your next adventure, um, some of your travels. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, we might do a little bit more of a deep dive into some of the entrepreneurial things. I'm working on a couple classes right now, so I might have you sure, on as a I'd guest. Love to. And when, yeah, when, when are you so, coming to see us? Well, I'm not sure. I, you know, I spent a little bit of time in Palm Springs, um, a couple right. weeks ago and saw your mom and sister. So probably not till after the first of the year this year, unfortunately, but I, I got some okay. work to do. So um, yeah, <laughs> right. hopefully after the first, hopefully after the first year. And please know that if you ever want to come to Portland, we have a huge house and plenty of room and we would love, love, love to have you. Actually, I might take you up on that. I've been, I've been talking a lot of trash on the Pacific Northwest, so I might have to go to a Timbers <laughs> game or something like that. You know, um, you will want to hurry because there are only two left, two home games left in the season. Oh, okay. Saturday and, then, and then one in October. Um, but we do have season tickets. So if for, what, if for some reason you don't make it this season, um, definitely come next season. We have four seats. And so um, come and, and uh, have some fun with us. And I definitely want to check out a soccer game when I'm down there, if I'm down there during season. Uh, down, down here in Arizona? Yes. Uh-huh, oh, you should because we're tr- we're trying really hard to get Phoenix Rising to to the MLS. So yes, um, I, I'm it, all it for is it. quite an exciting get it, get it. atmosphere. Thank you so much for being on today. I know that the listeners got a ton out of this, and um, mm. we will do it again soon. Okay, sounds good. Wyatt says bye. Oh, Wyatt is his beautiful, sweet, big, <laughs> loving puppy. <laughs> she is a doll. Yeah, she she is a so. giant puppy now. She is a giant puppy. Well, I love you so much, and I can't wait to see you and give you a big hug. Okay, love you too. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast with Carl Dewberry. I think he is just mind-boggling, and I want to know more young people like him because I think they are the ones that are really going to change the world. As you can tell from listening, he has been through a lot, he has learned a lot, and he is willing to share a lot. So if you got anything out of this podcast, do me a huge favor and share it with some other people. If you're listening to it on iTunes, maybe rate us and give us some comments, some feedback that really helps us out. And I hope to be in your ears again very soon. Until then, have a great week.